to be able to be uh, challenged by your word tonight, Father. I pray that you would please uh, help us as we look at this passage, Lord. I pray that you would give me the words to say, Father, and that we could learn from it and uh, be challenged, Lord, and be encouraged and uh, be able to be here different than when we came in. We love you, Lord, in your precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Matthew chapter number 5. And as we've been going through the book of Matthew, Matthew has so much good text and good scripture, it's hard to condense any chapter into, uh, in, into one sermon. But um, tonight we're beginning uh, Matthew chapter 5, and Matthew 5 is one of the three chapters, Matthew 5, uh, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7 are what is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount, very well-known passage as the Sermon on the Mount, and it's actually a sermon that Jesus Christ gave. This is Jesus, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus preaching, and it's actually written down for us as you read those chapters, it's like you're reading uh, the, the, the actual transcript of a message that Jesus preached. And the uh, introduction to that sermon is what is, is also a very well-known passage in and of itself, and is what is known as the Beatitudes. The first uh, 12 uh, verses of Matthew chapter 5 is known as the Beatitudes. And I'm not going to preach 5, 6, and 7 in one sitting like Jesus did. We'll take a few weeks to go through it and get all the truth there. But if you look at verse number 1... The Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... Okay, so he begins his sermon there, and he begins with these Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are a very famous... Passage, I'm sure we've all heard them before, the blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are the meek, and blessed are this, blessed are that. Oftentimes you'll find them in like greeting cards, you'll find them uh, uh, on a wall somewhere framed. And I want to just tonight deal with just the Beatitudes. We'll go through those 12 uh, verses as we go through that. There's a lot there for you uh, to realize and, and to learn from. Uh, a couple of things I want you to understand. The word Beatitude... Uh, not actually found in this passage, but the word beatitude means supreme blessedness. And the reason they're called the beatitude is because it's all about being blessed. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He said, blessed are this and blessed are that. Now you need to understand something, okay? The word blessed in our King James Bible is also translated happy. Okay, do you understand what I mean by that? Uh, we believe the King James Bible is the Word of God around here. We believe it's perfect, inerrant, without error. I'm not correcting the Bible, okay? Understand what I'm saying. Sometimes the same word will be translated differently in English. It means the same thing, but in a context, it will be different. I'll give you an example. The word for angel in our King James Bible sometimes is translated messenger. Sometimes it's translated angel. That's not a contradiction. That's not an issue. An angel is a messenger. That's why it's done that, that way. If you look at the... The Greek word here, blessed, sometimes the same word is translated happy or uh, uh, happily, alright? Because when you're blessed, you're happy. When you're blessed, you're content. So I just want you to know that um, the word blessed there, having the blessing of God, means that you're going to be happy and content. And there's, there's eight Beatitudes. We'll try to go through them as quickly as we can. If you look at verse 3, the Bible says, Blessed are... Now notice the first Beatitude, the first blessed person that Jesus talks about, the first happy person that Jesus talks about. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, poor in spirit there, what that phrase means is someone who is humble. And he says, uh, 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 someone who is humble in their spirit, poor in their spirit, is a blessed individual. And if Jesus was meaning about, you know, because he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, you see the words in spirit there? But even if he meant, because some people say like, well, he's talking about poor people, being a poor individual. Even if he meant physically poor, that doesn't really change the definition, because usually when you're physically poor, guess what you are? Humble. You know, usually it is proud, the proud people are the ones that are financially well off. And Jesus says here, blessed are the poor in spirit. And here's what I want you to send from this, okay? Uh, Keep your finger there in Matthew 5. Go with me to Proverbs, chapter number 16. Proverbs in the Old Testament, right after the book of Psalms. You open up your Bible, right smack down the center. You're more than likely found the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you got the book of Proverbs. And we're talking about being blessed, right? Now, I don't think 
is anyone here who would not be interested in having the blessings of God upon their lives. Amen. I mean, I think we would all want the blessing of God. We'd all want the favor of God. We all want the, 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 that God would help us and God would bless us. And here Jesus said, blessed are those poor in spirit. And here's what you need to understand. Are you there in Proverbs 16, verse 8? Look at verse 18. Proverbs 16 and verse 18. The Bible says pride, okay, pride is the opposite of being humble. Pride is thinking highly or too highly of yourself. Humble is not thinking of yourself at all, okay? The Bible says pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit, okay? Now, a haughty spirit is the exact opposite of a poor in spirit. And a haughty spirit before a fall. The word haughty means having or showing the, uh, uh, the insulting attitude of people who think that they are better or smarter or more important than others. So having an attitude of thinking I'm better than someone else. That is a haughty attitude. The Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Go to Proverbs 29. Look at verse number 23. Proverbs 29. Verse number 23. Proverbs 29. Just flip a few pages over. Proverbs 29. Verse 23. Proverbs 29. 23. The Bible says a man's pride shall bring him low. Do you see that? Proverbs 29:23. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the poor in spirit. Is that what it says? What does it say? Humble in spirit. Do you see that? So a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Go to James chapter 4. Here's what I want you to understand, okay? The fastest way to stop the blessing of God on your life is to allow pride into your heart. God hates pride. When I think of pride, you know what I think of? Lucifer. Remember, he said, I will be exalted above him. I shall be like the Most High. And God cast him down. And you got to understand this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And if you want to stop the blessings of God on your life, the fastest way to do that is to get pride. And, and by the way, let me just give you a definition of pride. I won't have you turn there, but in the book of Philippians, the Bible says, Let each esteem other better than himself. I, I'm sorry, I want to give you a definition of being humble. Because sometimes people get this idea... They, it's easy for us to understand what pride is. You know, you see somebody, they like to talk about themselves, they like to talk about all their accomplishments and all the stuff they have, and you think that's a very proud person. But sometimes you'll meet an individual and they're constantly talking about how bad they are. You ever met someone like that? How my life is so horrible, this happened to me, and that happened to me, and I'm so sad, and I'm so upset, and I'm so this, and I'm so that. But let me tell you something. Oftentimes that individual thinks they're humble, but really they are just as proud as a person that thinks very highly of themselves. You know why? Because pride, or being proud, is constantly thinking about yourself. See, people get this idea like, well, if I think bad of myself, I'm humble. No, you're still proud because your attention is on you. Being humble does not mean thinking bad about yourself. Being humble means not thinking of yourself at all. Do you understand that? So the guy that says, oh, my life is so horrible. Oh, my dog bit me. Oh, my, uh, you know, my wife left me. Oh, my this, my that, my life. You still have pride. And I'm here to tell you, that pride will stop the blessings of God in your life. Let each esteem other better than himself. You say, how do I work on my pride? Stop thinking of yourself at all and start thinking about others. And that will be a humble individual. See, being humble is not... Talking bad about yourself, because your attention is still on you. Are you there in James chapter 4? Look at verse 6. James 4, 6. James chapter 4, verse 6. The Bible says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, look what the Bible says, God resisteth the proud. You want God against you? Let pride in your life. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Uh, go, go to 1 Peter chapter 5, real quickly. 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, 1 Peter chapter number 5, and look at verse number 5. 1 Peter chapter number 5, and verse 5. 1 Peter 5, 5. The Bible says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. Be clothed with humility. Did you catch that? Now notice here. Why do you want to be clothed with humility? For, the word for means because, because God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Look at verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore. Why do you want to humble yourself? Because God resisteth the proud. 
Because God giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Go, go back to Psalm real quick. Psalm 10. You were just in Proverbs. I apologize. I should have told you to uh, keep your finger there. Psalm chapter number 10. Pride will ruin your life. Pride will make God be against you. Pride will cause God to resist you. Listen to me. When it comes to my life, the last thing I need is God resisting me. You understand that? When it comes to raising my children, when it comes to having a good marriage, when it comes to pastoring this church, when it comes to accomplishing anything for God, the last thing I need is God against me. And what will do that faster than anything is to allow pride in your life. So that's why Jesus says, hey, you want to be blessed? Be poor in spirit. And I don't have time to develop this. I preached a whole sermon, I think a year and a half ago, or maybe two years ago, about that phrase, being poor in spirit. You study the word poor. You know what the word poor is associated with? Some of you aren't going to like this, because it's not politically correct. But what's new? At Verity Baptist Church. But you study the word poor in the Bible, you know what word it's constantly being associated with? Needy. Because guess what? People that are poor are needy. <laughs> you know, they need a lot of help because they're poor. But you know, when you apply that to a spiritual sense, when you are poor in spirit, that means you're constantly in need of God. That's not a bad place to be. Amen. To be poor in spirit, needy. Are you there in Psalm 10? Look at verse 4. Psalm 10, verse 4. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, look what it says, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. So see, pride causes a person to feel like they don't need God. I don't need God. I've got it taken care of. The wicked, through the pride of his confidence, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Go, go back to Matthew chapter 5, real quickly. Matthew chapter 5. Now I want you to see this, okay? Blessed are the poor in spirit. We understand what that means, right? Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those that are poor and needy in spirit. Why? Because pride will put God against you. But notice the last phrase of verse 3. We've got to move to this quickly because we've got 12 verses to go through tonight. Look at the last phrase of verse 3. For, okay, the word for there means because, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You say, well, the kingdom of heaven, it's for the poor in spirit. Why is that? Go to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. We'll do this as quickly as we can. Matthew chapter 19. Look at verse 23. Matthew chapter 19, verse 23. Matthew 19, verse 23. The Bible says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Remember, the rich young ruler came to Christ, asked him a question. Jesus answered his question. He left. Matthew 19, 23 says, Then said Jesus to his disciples, Look what he says, Verily I say unto you, That a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, Than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who can be saved? Okay, you, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me just make something very clear. According to the Bible, heaven is going to be filled with poor people. <laughs> you say, why is that? Go soul winning with us in the ghettos. We get them saved like that. Why? Because they're usually pretty humble. Go soul winning with us in the nice neighborhoods. Yeah, there's a whole lot of fellowshipping going on between the soul winners. You know why? Because there's not a lot of whole conversation between the people at the door. It's just the truth. And that's what Jesus said. He said that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's going to be a lot of poor people in heaven and very few rich people in heaven. But before you get your little, you know, oh, so it's okay for me to be uh, 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 broke all the time. Because the Bible doesn't teach that either. Look at verse 26. Jesus said, look, it's really difficult. He said, it's easier for a camel to go through the avenido than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But in verse 26, but Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Amen. So don't get this idea that, well, if I'm going to be spiritual, I should be broke. Study the Bible. The, the people that God used in the scripture, by and large, were not poor. Look at Abraham, look at Isaac, look at Jacob, look at Paul. Uh, you know, before he got in the ministry, that's a different story. But, but look, look, look at the men that God used. They were not broke. It's easier to get a poor man saved than a rich man saved. Why? Because of pride. There will be more people in heaven than rich people. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Number two. Look at Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 4. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are they that mourn. 
The word mourn means to grieve. God, Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn. Why? For they shall be comforted. Mourning. Okay, uh, keep your finger there, Matthew 5. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to have to move quickly. Good night. It's already 745. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter number 7. And we're only on point number 2 and there's 8. So you gotta, you, you got to uh, speed it up a little bit, right? Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Verse, look at verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter number 7, verse 1. When you and I look at the word mourn, we think of a negative word. Okay? The Bible does not look at mourning as a negative thing. Are you there in Ecclesiastes chapter 7? Look at verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death than the day of one's birth. You see that? God says the day of your death is better than the day of your birth. Now we don't look at it that way. We rejoice when a baby's born and we uh, weep when a, when a person dies. But God says the day of one's death is better than the day of their birth. Okay? How you end a life is better than how you began it. And by the way, that's a physical life, that's a spiritual life. So I didn't get a good start in my spiritual life. Well, make sure you end right. Amen. Because the way you end it is better than the way you begin it. Someone said, I, I, I read this quote somewhere. Someone said, when, when, uh, when you were born, you cried and others rejoiced. He said, make sure when you die, they're rejoicing about your life. And that they're not crying about how you led your life. You ought to lead your life in a way where it brings joy to people to say, wow, that was a great person. Look at, look at verse 2, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2. It is better to go to the house of, notice what it says, mourning. Okay, it's better to go, here's the contrast. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Did you catch that? He said, it would be better for me to go to the house where they are mourning, where they are grieving, than to go to the party, than to go to the feast. For, the, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Look, this is what, this is what the Bible says, this is what Solomon saying. He said, it would be better for you to go to a funeral than for you to go to a birthday party. That's what he said. Say, well, well, why? Because we don't think of that. We think like a funeral is bad, a birthday party is good. But here's what Solomon is saying. He said, for that is the end of all men. That is where we're all going to end up. You are going to end up at a funeral. Do you understand that? I mean, hopefully you won't be there at your own funeral. That'd be weird. But, you know, we will all end up in death. And, you know, every time you go to a funeral, it ought to do this for you. Look at last part, last part of verse 2. The living will lay it to his heart. Every time you think about death, every time you hear someone dying, it should just remind you, wow, our lives are short. Only one life so soon shall pass. Only what's done for Christ shall last. Amen. Look at verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter. You see how this is the opposite of what you and I think? Sorrow is better than laughter. For the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Do you see that? Because of the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Verse 4. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Look at verse 71. Jesus said, Blessed are they that mourn. The psalmist said this. Psalm 119, verse 71. Psalm 119, 71. And by the way, Ecclesiastes 7, 5, you don't have to go back there, but let me read for you. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than, to, than for a man to hear the song of fools. Often people come to our church and they'll say, you know, I, w- I wish you guys had more uh, worship music and less preaching. I wish you had more of a music ministry and, and, and less of just that Bible stuff. The Bible says it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise. Then for a man to hear the songs of a fool. Amen. Every time I come to that church, I feel like I get rebuked. Every time I go to that church, I feel like, like I'm being attacked. I, I just want to go somewhere where I've been encouraged. Look, look, your, your life is a mess. The last thing you need is for someone to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. You understand that? It's better for you to be rebuked and corrected. Are you there in Psalm 119? Look at verse 71. Psalm 119, verse 71. It is good for me. This is what the psalmist said. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. That's not how you and I normally think. We think, I've been afflicted. Why is God doing this? But he said, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. That I might learn thy statutes. 
You know what happens when we get afflicted? Oftentimes, we draw closer to God. Go to Psalm 88, look at verse 9. Psalm 88, verse 9. Psalm 88, verse 9. Most churches you go to, you get an hour of singing and 15 minutes of preaching. Mary Baptist Church, you get 15 minutes of singing and an hour of preaching. Amen. Psalm 88, look at verse 9. Look what the psalmist says. Psalm 88, verse 9. Mine eye mourneth by reason of affliction. Now notice what that brings. Lord, look what it says. I have called daily upon thee. I have stretched out my hands unto thee. Look, I'm here to tell you, sometimes God afflicts us because He hasn't heard from us lately. And it is in our affliction that we call out to God. He says, My eye mourneth by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon thee. I have stretched out my hands unto thee. I want you to understand this, okay? When you go back to Matthew 5, don't, don't go back to Matthew 5. Go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. But in Matthew 5, 4 it says, Blessed are they that mourn. Why? For they shall be comforted. Now let me make something clear. The comforter is available for you right now. Okay? John 14, 16 tells us who the comforter is. John chapter 14, verse 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 14, verse 6. This is Jesus speaking. And I will pray the Father... And He shall give you another comforter. Because when Jesus was here, He was a comforter. But Jesus is telling Him, I'm going to leave, and He's going to give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. The comforter that God's going to give you is going to abide with you forever. Who is He? Verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. That's the Holy Spirit. Skip down to verse number 26. Look what it says, just to make it even more clear. Verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So the Bible says that there is a spirit that lives inside of you that is available for you, and his name is the Comforter. So the Spirit will come for you. Okay? Go to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. But for those of you who say, well, I don't feel comforted. I don't feel like I'm being comforted through my afflictions. I want you to understand this, okay? If you got your finger there in Matthew 5, you can go back to it. Otherwise, I'll read it for you. But you need to read what it says. It says, Blessed are they that mourn. This is what Jesus said. For they shall be comforted. Okay, now the comforter is available right now. You can be comforted right now. But even if you say, well, I don't feel like I'm being comforted right now. Jesus promised that you shall be comforted. You understand that? It, comfort will come. Go to Revelation chapter 7. Look at verse 17. We got, we got to do this quickly because I'm already running out of time. Revelation chapter 7. Look at verse 17. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. And this is, this is future, by the way. Look what it says. But right before we begin eternity... After the great white throne judgment, after the millennial reign, after... I mean, we are getting ready to be done with the Bible here. Revelation chapter 7, in the context, towards the beginning, towards the end. And we're getting ready to go into eternity. And before we do that, look what he says. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Thank you. Go to Revelation 21. You'll see the same parallel passage. Revelation 21, look at verse number 3. Revelation 21.3 And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor cry, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, write for these words are true and faithful. Hey, you say, I'm mourning right now. Well, you're blessed because you will be comforted. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. And just to, to realize that there is coming a day when there will be no tears, there will be no sorrow, there will be no crying. And by the way, if you study the context, one of the reasons that God has to wipe away our tears is because we just witnessed the great white throne judgment. We just witnessed God cast the unbelievers into hell. Somebody ought to study that out. It might motivate you to get out and preach the gospel to somebody. Right, that's good. 
But one of the reasons that God wipes away the tears is because we just you just watch your unsaved neighbor and your unsaved co-worker and your unsaved loved one be cast into hell. But then God says, I'm going to wipe away the tears. I'm going to comfort you. He said, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Go back to Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, you don't have to turn here. Let me just read this verse for you. If you're taking notes, um, you want to write this verse down as a cross-reference. But Jesus is quoting Psalm 37.11. Let me read it for you. Psalm 37.11 says, But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Okay? So that's a quote there from the Old Testament. But Matthew 5, 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, uh, go to Matthew chapter number 11. Matthew chapter number 11. you got to understand this. What is meekness? What is meekness? Let me give you as thorough definition of meek as I can give you. Uh, we, can, we can go to a lot of verses to prove this, but we don't have the time. You study that word out on your own. But here's what the word meekness means. It means having or showing a quiet and gentle nature. Remember I said about the women that they are to have a meek and quiet spirit? Not wanting to fight or argue with other people. Enduring injury with patience and without resentment. Meekness is patience in the reception of injuries. Did you catch that? Meekness is someone hurting you, is someone injuring you, is someone wronging you, and you accepting that without resentment and not arguing about it and not not trying to fight. Here's what meekness is, not needing to get revenge. And who is a perfect example of meekness? The Lord Jesus Christ. Are you there in Matthew 11? Look at verse 29. Notice what Jesus said about himself. Jesus said this about himself. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Look what Jesus said. For I am meek and lowly, that's humbleness, in heart. And ye shall find rest of your soul. Now please understand this. Do not confuse meekness with weakness. Jesus was not weak. Jesus was a strong man. And let me tell you something. It takes more strength, and it takes more character, and it takes more self-discipline to control yourself when someone is doing you wrong, to control your attitude and control your words, than to just fly off the handle. Guys have this idea, well, I'm just a tough guy, and I just fly off the handle, and that makes me tough. That actually makes you weak because you're out of control. You can't even control yourself. Jesus was in control of himself. And let me show you a perfect example. Luke 23. Luke 23. Look at verse 34. We've got to do this quickly because I'm out of time. Luke 23, verse 34. Luke 23, verse 34. Remember Jesus was dying on the cross? He was being buffeted. He was being spit upon. He was being uh, reviled. He was being called all sorts of things. They were abusing him. And how did he respond? Luke 23, 34. Then said Jesus, Father. Look what he said. Father. As they're killing him. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast his lungs. Jesus is a perfect example of meekness. Meekness is enduring injury with patience and without resentment. Meekness is having patience in the reception of injuries. Meekness is not needing to get revenge. Meekness is realizing that there is coming a great white throne where God will judge the evil and let God deal with it. Let God deal with revenge. I don't need hate in my heart. That's what meekness is. Amen. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Look at verse 6. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Thirst and hunger are strong needs that you and I have. And here's what's interesting about them, is that there's strong needs, but there's strong daily needs. You need to eat every day. At least you have hunger to eat every day. You need to drink water every day. And um, I don't want to take a lot of time on this, but just go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 real quick. The Bible often refers to spiritual things as hungering and thirsty. Let me give you one example. We dealt with it before when we were in Matthew 4. But let me show it to you again. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. But he answered and said, it is written, this is what Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. You need to understand this. You need to pray to God that God would give you a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. 
that God would give you a hunger and a thirst for spiritual things. Because you got to understand this, okay? The, 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 the guy that is trying to do right, trying to live right, trying to not look at what he's not supposed to look at and, and live righteously and read the Bible and pray, but, and, and he has a desire, it's going to be much easier for you to live righteously if you have a desire for hunger and thirst of righteousness. You say, how do you do? How do you develop that hunger? It's like anything else. The more you expose yourself to it, the more you'll have a desire for it. Amen. Good or bad. So what does that mean? You pick up your Bible and you read it whether you feel like doing it or not. Wasn't that character? Doing that which you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it, whether you feel like doing it or not. And I promise you that you sit down and you force yourself to read the Bible. Eventually, you'll start loving reading the Bible. People come to our church and say, I, I hate the, the old hymns. You sing them long enough, you'll start liking them. I love them. I love the old hymns. Anything you, you allow, and by the way, that's good or bad. You know that's true. First time you tasted alcohol, it was disgusting. But what did you do? Keep doing it, like an idiot. <laughs> and then it was fine. Hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Go to uh, Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 7. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. Why? For they shall obtain mercy. Okay, go, go to Matthew chapter 6. While you're going to Matthew 6, let me read for you Galatians chapter number 6. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You've got to understand this. You reap what you sow. The things you do, the seed you sow, you will reap that. And Jesus said, Blessed are they, uh, blessed are the merciful. Ah, good night. Let me go back and look at it because I'm going to misquote it now. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Are you there in Matthew chapter 6? This is another part of the Sermon on the Mount, but let's just deal with it right now. Verse 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now notice what it says. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Look, you, you better be uh, quick to forgive and quick to show mercy and quick to not hold a grudge. Because when you hold a grudge and when you withhold forgiveness from others, God says, I'll treat you the way you treat others. We talked about that on Sunday morning with the offering. But God applies that to every area of life. Go to Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 1. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Matthew 7, 1 says, and we'll deal with this when we get to Matthew 7. And we'll go through it thoroughly, but I just want you to see this quickly. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And again, I'll deal with it when we get to Matthew 7. I just want to put this uh, caveat out there. It's not saying to not judge, because if you look at verse 3 and on, it says to cast out the beam out of your own eye, so that you can help your brother. Okay, so it's talking about not judging hypocritically. Alright? But he says, look... With what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. Look, you come down hard on people. They're going to come down hard on you when it's your turn. You better. I'm not saying to look past sin. I'm not saying to, 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 to condone sin. But I'm saying this. When your brother or your sister in Christ are in sin and, and God's dealing with them, we better deal with them. I'm not, I'm not condoning sin. We, it's obviously sin is wrong. But we better deal with them with a merciful uh, uh, spirit, a spirit of forgiveness, a spirit of lovingness. Because guess what? One day you're going to need mercy. And you better sow and show mercy if you want it on the way back. Go to Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 8. Matthew 5 verse 8. We're actually doing pretty good. Look at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. And this is difficult. I mean, any one of these could be a sermon in and of itself. Maybe one day I'll do a whole series on the Beatitudes and preach a sermon on each one of them. But look at, look at Matthew 5 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Okay, here's what you need to understand. Go, go, go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, real quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Blessed are the pure in heart. You know what pure means? It means clean. Pure means without defilement. And he said, if you're pure in heart, you'll see God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, you find those T books, 1 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, and Titus. 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you look at verse 20, God explains to us that He wants to use pure and clean vessels. 2 Timothy 2.20 says, 
But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Verse 21. If a man therefore purge, the word purge means to cleanse. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet. The word meet there is suitable for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. You say, I want to be used by God. I want to be used by the master. I want God to use me. Then you better start purging yourself of sin and filth and, and, and unrighteousness in your life. Because that's what makes you suitable to be used of God. Amen. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's uh, use. Go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Real quickly. James chapter 4. Uh, right after the book of Hebrews. James chapter 4. Look at verse 8. James chapter 4, verse 8. James chapter number 4, verse 8. The Bible says in James 4, 8, Draw nigh to God. I don't think you'd be in church on a Wednesday night if you weren't trying to get close to God. Draw nigh to God. Now here's the beautiful part of, of drawing nigh to God. The Bible says when you draw nigh to God, look what it says. He will draw nigh to you. You take a step towards God, He'll take a step towards you. But don't miss this. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And purify. That's the pure heart. Your hearts, ye double-minded. You cannot approach God with sin. I understand we're all sinners, but I'm here to tell you. You want to get close to God, you're going to have to cleanse your hands. You're not going to be able to... Serve God and love God and develop a relationship with God while living in sin. You must cleanse yourself. And Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You want to be used of God? Look, as we're talking about right now, the Holy Spirit is bringing sins to your heart and your mind. Uh, 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 hidden sins or sins, things you know you need to deal with. Deal with those things. Confess and forsake Him and draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you, but you've got to cleanse your hands. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 9. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. When I read that, and obviously there's a lot where we can talk about, but when I read that, the number one thing we should be making peace with people... Ah, good night. Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. i, I got ten minutes. We, we can do this quickly. Romans chapter 5, uh, look at verse, Romans chapter 5, look at verse 1. Romans 5, 1, okay? What's the number one thing? Say, Pastor, the number one thing is peace in the Middle East. Uh, no. Romans chapter 5, look at verse 1. Let me show you what the number one thing for peace is. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, look what it says, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to understand this. We as humans are at odds with God because of our sin. We are opposed to God. But when you are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Look at verse 33. 1 Corinthians. We're looking at a lot of Bible. I thought that's why you came to Bible study. Amen. 1 Corinthians 14. Look at verse 33. 1 Corinthians. We're, we're almost done. We've got to get this done. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Look at verse 33. 1 Corinthians 14. 33. 1 Corinthians 14, 32, the Bible says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. So, God is not the author of confusion, but here's what He is the author of. He's the author of peace. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You're there in 1 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Blessed are the what? Peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Men are at odds with God. But when they are justified by faith, they have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But guess what? You say, well, how do I become a peacemaker? 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled. You know what the word reconciled means? It means to make peace. Things were not together, and we brought them together. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us... To himself by Jesus Christ. Amen. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. But keep reading. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ came and reconciled you to God. But notice what now happens. It says, and hath given to us the 
ministry of reconciliation. Our job is to go out and find men and women that are at odds with God and reconcile them to God. And guess what? When you do that, you'll be a peacemaker and you'll be blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, I, I want you to understand this. Go back to Matthew 5, 9. Real quickly. Matthew 5, 9. Let me give you two things to think about in this verse. It doesn't say, okay, here's what it doesn't say. Blessed are the peaceful. Do you catch that? It doesn't say, blessed are the peaceful. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. It doesn't say peaceful. It says peacemakers. Why? Sometimes to make peace, you got to fight. You understand that? I'm not just talking about politically. I'm talking about in your spiritual. I'm talking this church. Sometimes to keep the church in peace, Pastor Jimenez has to come out strong against sin and fight sin because sin wants to destroy this church. you understand that? So people say, well, you should be peaceful. No, I should be a peacemaker. And sometimes you make peace by fighting the battle, winning the battle. And guess what happens when you're done with the fight? You got peace. Amen. I also want you to understand this, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be, here's the key word, called the children of God. Being a peacemaker does not make you a child of God. It just makes you look like you're a child of God. Do you understand that? Some of you are saved and you're a legit child of God, but nobody would know it by the way you live. And there are people out there like Gandhi, who people say, oh, that's, he's got, like uh, uh, Mother Teresa. And people say, they've they got to be children of God. I mean, they're peacemakers. Look, what makes a child of God is what you believe. Right. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Amen. So just being a peacemaker doesn't make you a child of God. But guess what? Every child of God should be a peacemaker because it makes you look like a child of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Why? For they shall be called the children of God. It doesn't make you a child of God, but it makes you look like a child of God. And if you're a child of God, you should want to look like a child of God. Amen. If you're a child of God, you should want to act like a child of God. Go to Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 10. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. This is the last one. This is probably the most important one, though. Or not the most important one, I shouldn't say that, but the one I've got more scripture for. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. Make note of that word, revile you, and persecute you. And shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. Look what it says. For my sake. Okay, let's run a few verses. Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. We're almost done. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm in the last few uh, pages of my notes here. Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. Let's do this quickly. Second Timothy chapter 3. You've got to understand this. Second Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 12. Whoever taught you a prosperity gospel, whoever said if you get saved, God's going to make you rich, God's going to make you healthy, God's going to make you wealthy, that TV preacher, I'm sorry to tell you, lied to you. They got your money and they lied to you. Because the Bible says this. Second Timothy 3.12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus... Look what it says, shall suffer persecution. It doesn't say you may suffer persecution. He says you will suffer persecution. That's a promise. If you live godly in Christ Jesus, you shall suffer persecution. You say, well, I've been saved for a long time and I've never been persecuted. Maybe you're not living godly. Because, yea, all they that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Okay, so you understand this, okay? If you live for God, okay, they hated Jesus Christ, they're going to hate you. They crucified Him on the cross, okay? They didn't like Him. And if you try to live like Him, they're not going to like you either. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, verse 20. For what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye take it patiently? Look, when you get beat up because you were drunk and picked a fight with someone that you shouldn't have picked a fight with, and then you take it patiently, look, there's no glory in that. I got a ticket. Yeah, you're speeding. I got arrested. You broke into the... You know, it's like you, you, you did it. For what glory is it when you buffeted for your fault, you shall take it patiently? Not look what it says. But if, when you do well, and suffer for it. You take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. 
when you are serving God, when you are doing right, when you haven't done anything wrong, and then you get persecuted. The Bible says that's acceptable to God. Now look, you got to understand this, okay? Remember, TV preacher lied to you. Verse 21. For even hereunto, hereunto what? Unto suffering. Look what it says. Hereunto were ye called. When you got saved, God called you into a life of persecution. Why? Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow His steps. Are you, are you reading the same Bible I'm reading? It says Jesus suffered in this world, Jesus was persecuted in this world, and God called you to walk in His steps. So guess what? If they hated Jesus, they should hate you too. And if they don't hate you, there may be something wrong with how you're following Jesus. Look verse 22. Who, talking about Jesus, did no sin? Neither was God found in His mouth. Who, this is Jesus, when He was on the cross, here's meekness, when He was reviled, reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not. But here's what He did. Committed Himself to Him that judges righteously. Look, somebody wrongs you. Here's, here's all you have to say. God will judge him. I don't need to judge him. God will, God will judge him. I forgive him. Let God judge him. He's the holy judge. Verse 24. Who is his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Uh, go, go, go to First Peter. First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. I just want to show you this verse. I'm almost done. I'm going to show you a passage in 1 Peter. I'm going to show you a passage in James. We'll go back to Matthew and, and we'll be done. Okay? 1 Peter chapter number 3. Look at verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 13. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? He says, look, if, if you do good, by and large, people are going to leave you alone. Verse 14. But, and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, an oppressive government other Christians, other uh, unbelievers, your family, if you suffer for righteousness sake, if you suffer because you're doing right, look what it says, happy. Remember what the word blessed mean? Happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Verse 16, having a good conscience that whereas, look what it says, they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you, uh, accuse your good conversation in Christ, for it is better if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath one suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Then we'll go back to Matthew. We're done. you got to understand this. If you're going to serve God, you just got to get used to it. If you're going to serve God, get used to people taking advantage. You know the people that leave this church and say complete and utter lies about me, about my wife, about my children? To your children? Yeah. Six, four, and one and a half year old. You know, the people that leave here and say the worst things about us, the people we help the most. Hey, does that hurt you, Pastor? It's part of the game. You just got to realize that. Is that going to make you stop loving people? No, we're going to keep loving people. Why? Because they did it to Jesus. Look, we, we got to get to the place in our Christianity where we just buck up, we toughen up a little bit and realize we're in a fight. Are you in James chapter 1? Look at verse 1. James chapter 1 and verse 1. James. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greeting, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. So count it joy when you fall into temptations? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Go back to Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 12. Matthew 5, 12. Matthew chapter 5, 12. He said, Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Look at Matthew 5.12. Rejoice. Matthew 5.12. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Be really, really glad. That's what that means. Why? For. What was the word for me? Because? Because great is your reward in heaven. If you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, your reward in heaven will be great. Why? For so persecuted they the prophets, which were before you, 
Let me give you a couple thoughts as we finish up the Beatitudes. Here's what's interesting about the Beatitudes. As you go through and look, look, Jesus said blessed, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. Now here's the interesting thing. When you and I think of the word blessed, what do we think of? Money, health, fame, Pastor Jimenez on TV with a gold tooth and a gold ring. Right? That's what we think of. You know what we don't think of when we think of blessings? Being hungry and thirsty. You know what we don't think of when we think of blessing? Being poor. You know what we don't think of when we think of blessing? Mourning, meekness, mercifulness, peacemakers, persecution. So you can understand this. The things that you and I think will make us happy, if we really had them, we would realize we would not be happy. Because if money and wealth and fame makes you happy, then why are all these Hollywood movie stars and rock, you know, artists and, and, and football players and, and, and all these people, why are they all on drugs and why are they all on alcohol and why are they all committing suicide and why are they all cheating on their spouses? you got to understand this. The stuff that you and I think would make us happy will not make you happy. But God knows exactly what will make you happy. And sometimes it's being poor. Sometimes it's mourning. Sometimes it's hungry. The things you and I think bring happiness don't. God, you guys understand, God knows exactly what you need. Uh, a few weeks ago, it might have been last week, in the course of the week, we sang the song. I, I don't want to sing it, but I want to remind you of the words. We sang the song, Rejoice in the Lord. That's written by a man who went through a lot of struggles in his life. I just want to read these words for you that he's, he wrote. He said, God never moves without purpose or plan when trying his servant and molding a man. Give thanks to the Lord Though your testing seems long, in darkness he giveth a song. Here stands a three. Now I can sing, uh, see, testing comes from above. God strengthens his children and purges in love. My father knows best, and I trust in his care. Through purging, more fruit I will bear. And the chorus, of course, says, Oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistake. He knoweth the end of each path that I take. For when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. When you and I go through troubles, when we are mourning, when we are being persecuted, just realize God knows what He's doing, and we may be in the happiest place of our life. We may be in the most blessed place of our lives. As far as I have to have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to be able to study the Beatitudes and how to have an attitude of blessings. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to realize that the things that we think will make us happy often will not. And Lord, I pray that you'd just help us to have an attitude of realizing that God makes no mistakes. You know, you know the beginning from the end. You know what we need. You know what I need. And sometimes we need to go through a little bit of affliction. Help us to keep our eyes on you, realizing that you make no mistakes. You know what you're doing. And it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of myrrh. Lord, we love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen.